We turn now to the preaching of God's Word. If you have a Bible with you and would like to follow along, we're going to be in Judges. The bulk of our text will be Judges chapter 5, but we're going to read a short verse from the end of chapter 3, verse 31. So if you turn with me to Judges chapter 3, and then we will, the end of chapter 3, and then we will flip over to Judges chapter 5. Let me pray for us and ask God's blessing upon the preaching of his word. Let's go to him. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things out of your law. Lord, as we heard in our call to worship this morning, that you would reveal us to us your love, your steadfast love. Lord, open our eyes through your Holy Spirit that we might see with eyes of faith and live in obedience to your commands, to the glory of Christ our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Judges chapter 3, verse 31, and then chapter 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. After him, that is Ehud, was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Turn with me over to chapter 5. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way, to the sound of musicians at the watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villages, villages, villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates marched the people of, his, of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in song. Arise, Barak, lead, out, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then march down the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord march down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they march down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Akir, march down the commanders, and from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar, the faithful to Barak, into the valley they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? 
Among the clans of Reuben, they were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death, Naphtali too, on the heights of the field. The kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan. At Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, they got no spoils of silver. From heaven the stars fought, from their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon, march on my soul with might. Then loud beat the horse's hoofs with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Meraz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women, BJL, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, of the tent-dwelling women, most blessed. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. Out of the window she peered. The mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found this and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man, spoil of dyed materials for Sisera, spoil of dyed materials embroidered, two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil? So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. Thus ends the reading of the word of the Lord to us this morning. May he bless it to us. This is not your typical song. If you flip on the radio today, I dare say you will not hear the song of Deborah and Barak being sung by anyone. It is a violent song, but it is also that we will see a hopeful song, a joyful song for the people of God who are delivered from their enemies. There are many questions I'm sure that surround in our minds about how Scripture thinks of violence and how this was played out. I hope to address that in more detail in coming weeks. Uh, If you think this is violent, just stick around for the rest of the book of Judges, and it doesn't get any better. It only gets worse from here. But here this text presents to us the victory of the Lord, that they have won the battle against Sisera and the evil king Jabin, who is the king of Canaan. Jabin is not mentioned in this song, only Sisera, his commander of his army. And it is like, it is... To this song, I would like to look this morning as the people of Israel, the king or the the leaders of the army, the prophetess Deborah, 
J.L. herself, a tent-dwelling woman, and the people of God who fought against the warriors of Canaan that I would like to look. There are two simple things I would like to see this morning. First is the warriors, those who fought for the Lord and the Lord himself, and then secondly, the women. That there are three distinct women in this passage, but I would like at the end to focus on the two women here, Jael and the mother of Sisera, who remains nameless. So first for us, the warriors. Now, if you flip back to chapter 4, there is an unanswered question from that text. There is an unanswered test in verse 15, unanswered question in verse 15. In verse 15, it says, And the Lord routed Sisera, the commander of the armies of Canaan. That word for routed actually means to frighten or to bring into confusion. We don't know what happened in that text. Nothing tells us. It just simply says that the Lord brought this army into confusion. They were terrified. And the reason we know they were terrified is because the commander of the army flees on foot. He runs away from the battle. The commander of, army, of the army is typically the last person to run away from the battle. He is the one who will stay there until every last soldier is put to death. But here he is so scared, so frightened, that he is running away on foot. What happened? What threw this army, this mighty army of 900 chariots, the most technologically advanced form of weaponry in that time, this mighty army, what would terrify them so much? Well, our text tells us this morning that the Lord went out from Seir, another name for the Mount of Sinai. The Lord marched. But how did the Lord march? How did he appear before this army? The Lord fought against them. He threw this army into confusion. He frightened them. What did he do? In verse 4, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. An earthquake, a storm. The mountains quaked before the Lord, verse 5. Even Sinai before the Lord, or as a footnote might say in your Bibles, before the Lord, the one of Sinai, the God of Israel. Here we see in this passage, a mighty storm has fallen upon the army of Sisera. And if you turn over to verse 20, you hear a further description of this storm. It is not just the earth, the ground, the sky, but even the heavens themselves. From heaven the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera, the torrent of Kishon. This is the river that was going through the valley where this battle would have occurred. The torrent swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. So what we see here is this amazing event Where God shows up in a storm, the heavens and the earth are now turned against the army of Sisera. The Lord went out. And if you know anything about Canaanite religion, they worshipped the god Baal, or Baal as many also call him. 
And he was the god of the storm. In fact, there is a play on names here. Sisera, or not Sisera, Barak, his name means lightning. He is the lightning that God has sent to come and attack Sisera, this mighty warrior. Here, God is the one who is shown as more powerful than the Canaanite god, Baal. It is an indictment to say to the people of Israel, you have turned to the Canaanite gods. Where are they now? Useless. The gods of this world around you that you think will provide you with what you need, the pleasures that you want, the joy and happiness that you think will give you, their gods are useless, powerless, before the one and only true God, the Lord. But there's something beyond this. It makes those who fought all the more astonishing is those who went to the fight. They showed up on this battlefield, and then the Lord begins to fight for them. Deborah, in the previous chapter, told Barak, the Lord is going to give them into your hands. This battle is already won before it, already, before it even begins. But who is the army? Who are these warriors that go to this fight? They are not your ordinary warriors. Remember, in the beginning of chapter 4, it tells us that Jabin had oppressed the people of Israel for 20 years. Their livelihood had been severely restricted. It's not unlike the fear that I think some Christians have about what is happening around the world as the world governments seem to be coalescing around restricting, restricting the movements of people more and more. More control in our lives telling us where we are to go, what we are to do. We have this fear that we will not be able to live the lives that we have before. Well, what may be simply a fear for us was a reality for the people of Israel. Their whole life was stopped. It tells us that they could not go down the roads, the byways. In the days of Shamgar, the travel was shut up. It was stopped. The people could not go down the main roads. They could not travel because Sisera had 900 iron chariots. It would be like driving down the road and there are checkpoints with tanks. And if you are not on the side of the Canaanites, you can't pass through. You can't conduct business. You can't do your livelihood. And so we see the nature of this army. This was not a gathered force of mighty warriors. No, these were simple villagers. This was not an army, an ordinary army. This is what Deborah shows in the list of tribes from verse 14 and onward. Now, there's a note in this text, in the days of Shamgar, and you think, why did we skip that a few weeks ago? Well, here's why. Because it's important for us as we approach this text this morning. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, he killed 600 men with an ox goad. Most of us think, what in the world is an ox goad? If you're a farmer or a rancher, you probably have a better idea of this. This is what you use to prod cattle to keep them moving forward. Now, you might think this would be a mighty weapon. No, this is not what you go into war with. This is just a simple farmer or rancher tool. Shamgar is an ordinary man. He's a villager. 
He's an ordinary person who God uses to defeat the armies of the Philistines. 600 men, the text tells us. We know that God is with him because nobody can do this. You cannot defeat single-handedly 600 men with an ox goad, a farming tool. So Shamgar, in the days of Shamgar, is the reminder to us that this is a time when there are no warriors The best weapons that they have is the tools they have on their farms, the tools they have on their ranches. There's not an assembled army like what Sisera has, not even close. And this is what makes this passage all the more astonishing. And it makes sense of Barak's statement of when he comes in chapter 4, finally gets summoned by Deborah to come to him, and he comes and says, I will go to this war if you go with me. But if you do not go with me, I will not go. No wonder Barak didn't obey God's command, that he already knew he was supposed to go. You can imagine in his mind, you want me to lead an army of people against 900 chariots, a bunch of villagers going to war against this? It's certain death. We're all going to die. We are going to be wiped out immediately. Why would we go to war against one of the most technologically advanced armies in the world? We will die quickly. And so we understand Barak's statement to Deborah all the more. Look, Deborah, if you have such confidence in the Lord's victory, then you come along. You risk your life. And if you risk your life, then I'll know, I'll have more confidence that Truly, the Lord is with us. But what's surprising is what happens next. Deborah goes. Deborah trusts in the Lord. She is confident in what the Lord says. Yes, you may have an army of villagers, and the best weapons they have are ox goads. But she knows what the Lord has told her. She is confident in the, wor- in the word of the Lord. And this is why she says in this song that she arises as a mother in Israel. She must lead the men, these men who are behaving like children, too afraid to go to battle. If they don't step up, she says, I will, I will go, I know who fights for us. And the presence of Deborah in this story is an indictment on the men of Israel. Not a whole man in the entire land of Israel could be found who would go into battle. Shamgar himself is understood as somebody who is not even an Israelite. His name is not an Israelite name, and Anak is a foreign god. So he is a descendant of those who worship foreign gods. We don't know his identity other than He's not even an Israelite, yet he delivers them. Maybe he has converted to the Israelite religion, to belief in Yahweh. There is no one, not a single man in the entire land of Israel who is willing to go to battle. Not even their commander, Barak. But who is? Who is willing to go? Deborah. Deborah is willing to go. She is utterly confident 
and the word of the Lord. She is a shining star. She is a mother who willingly leads her family where they are uncertain of the future that lies ahead of them. She is a shining example to all of us of what true motherhood is. Confidence in the word of the Lord. Confidence in the face of fear. Trusting what God has said to her. And at the heart of this is a picture and a challenge of faith for us. Women, will you believe the word of the Lord? What he has told you. Men, will you believe, like Deborah, and trust the word of the Lord that he has, tra- has told you? But something else surprising here is what happens in the New Testament. Deborah is not mentioned in the New Testament, but Barak is. In fact, Barak is listed as an example of faith to all of us in Hebrews chapter 11. He is one of the men of faith. Why does Barak get mentioned and not Deborah? We would expect Deborah to get mentioned. Here is this shining example, utter, complete confidence in the word of the Lord. We would expect her to be listed in Hebrews chapter 11, among the hall of faith. Why is Barak listed instead of her? Because you all, along with me, your pastor, are like Barak. We often we all would look at Deborah and say we need to be like Deborah, but the reality is all of us is like Barak. It is instructive for us that Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, lists even weak, cowardly, struggling in faith Barak as one who conquers through believing in the word of the Lord. See, ultimately Barak does go into battle. He leads the people after he sees the faith of Deborah leading them. And we need to see that like Barak, if we have faith in the promise of God, if we simply trust him, we can obtain the promises too. Because what saves us is ultimately not our faith. It is the means by which salvation comes to us, but our faith is not the thing that saves us. It is Jesus. It is God acting on behalf of Israel. He is the Savior. And the smallest faith, even the smallest faith of Barak, is stronger than the mightiest army that stands before his people. Jesus says in Matthew 17, Truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Barak had faith like a mustard seed. Now surely, Deborah had a faith like a tree. But even Barak's faith And it is that faith in God's word and his promises to them that led these villagers to go out to war. But the 
most powerful thing is that the victory was secured before they even drew their swords. Here goes this army standing on top of a mountain, which is more like a small hill, and they see God going out to fight for them. They haven't even drawn their swords yet, and the rains fall, and the earth quakes, and all these chariots get stuck in the mud, and the mightiest army is rendered defenseless. They see this massive storm, and it frightens them. They realize that Baal is not fighting for them, their God. Instead, they are being fought against, and this army hasn't even come to them yet. It is God who fights for us. It is the Lord who is on our side. And that is why we can have faith, even small faith, to trust that the Lord will walk through every trial, every circumstance that we face in this life. But Deborah also brings out something. Deborah and Barak bring out something here too. There are other so-called warriors in this text. But there are those who stayed home. They didn't go out to war. They didn't have faith. Instead, the text tells us many things. Among the clans of Reuben, verse 15, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling of flocks? Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Not everyone believed the word of the Lord. They stayed home. They didn't go. They were too busy. Reuben is painted here as a picture of one who the tribe is debating amongst themselves whether or not they should go. There's too much risk involved here. There's too much danger. Asher says, we're going to get defeated anyway. We might as well stay at home on our ships. Dan, Gilead, Dan, Gilead, they all stay away. We're not going to risk our lives. And so Deborah indicts them. Barak indicts them for their lack of faith. They forgot the Lord. Likely they had turned to the gods of this world around them for their Savior. Too much danger, too much risk. Following Christ is going to require you to lay down your life. It's what these soldiers accepted. We're going to go into this battle. Yes, we have this promise that we are going to make it through, but they didn't see it. Following Christ will, for you, mean you will have to lay down your life. You don't see the end of the battle right now. Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. These tribes were not worthy. Gilead, Dan, Asher, Reuben. They loved the world. They loved their lives. And they got no victory in the end. But then our text turns to two women, Jael and Sisera. The text begins with this verse 24. Most blessed be Jael, 
most blessed. Now, there's a lot of things going on here, and I would like to answer this question of why is she called most blessed? But to focus our time, I would like to f- turn to this word at the very end of verse 27, dead. That is not the typical Hebrew word for death. It is an atypical word, actually. And in poetry, we often play with words. We use other words to describe something, to bring vividness to our minds. And this passage, verse 27, the word for dead, is often something that has been destroyed by looting and plundering. Jael has looted and plundered Sisera, this mighty commander of armies. And this is a contrast with the mother of Sisera, who is crying out and consoles herself with Sisera potentially plundering. She's in her palace looking out her window, wondering, what happened to my son? And then her so-called wisest princesses, along with her own heart, consoles herself that Sisera is coming, is late in coming because he is out plundering. There is something even more grotesque here that's pictured for us. Have they not found and divided the spoil, a womb or two for every, for every man? You see the grotesqueness of the Canaanite beliefs that a woman is just simply summed up as a womb, as a vehicle through which men derive their pleasure. And she finds this as a source of comfort for her. He's out doing what warriors do, raping and pillaging. She herself is a wicked woman. But the very one that this woman expected to be out spoiling, pillaging, has himself been spoiled and pillaged by Jael. The commander who on so many occasions had abused women was now at the very feet of a woman destroyed, undone. And the text is graphically paints for us this picture. One level to the next, struck, crushed, shattered. She has destroyed him. And this is why Jael is most blessed among women. Because she has carried out the deliverance of the people of Israel. See, Jabin, the king of Canaan, his power was located with this man, Sisera. Once you see in the text in chapter 4 that Sisera is killed, it is no difficult thing for the rest of Israel to go and defeat the rest of Canaan and Jabin. Without Sisera, Jabin could easily be dispatched. And in ridding the land of this evil commander, Jael sets the people free. She is the unlikely and unexpected victor in this whole story. And no one saw this coming. But to understand Jael, we must understand another woman. And she's not spoken of explicitly in this text until you get to the New Testament. There is only one other woman in all of Scripture who gets this title, most blessed. Blessed among women. 
and that woman is Mary. And it is through this woman that the deliverance, the true deliverance for God's people comes. Luke chapter 1, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. That in Mary, the victory was secured for us. Through this woman, salvation came to the world. And just as Mary sings upon learning of the salvation given to, through her, Deborah herself sings of the salvation that God had provided through Jael. There is a mirror here that the New Testament picks up on. But it's pointing ultimately to the one through whom salvation would be ultimately given, Jesus Christ himself. And we have something the Israelites did not yet have. In an early shadowy form, they had it. That is, the victory against sin has been completed. They are striving against those who are seeking to lead them astray, to oppress them, overcome them. But the Israelites welcomed it from afar. But we stand on this side of the cross. And just as a bunch of villagers went out to fight against this army and the victory was secured before they even drew one sword, so it is for us today, but much more. They went into the battle not knowing. We know the end of the battle. That battle has been won by Jesus Christ. And before we take up our crosses and follow one step in the path of Jesus Christ, willing now not to take lives, but to lay our lives down for the sake of others, we know that Jesus Christ, our Savior, has done this for us. He has done this for those of us who are weak in faith, just like Barak. And that is the hope for you and I in our battle, our true battle. The picture of what all this was is our battle with sin. That before we take one sword to put to death sin in our lives, as Romans chapter 6 tells us, that that battle has already been won. It has been secured. And that is why we join in chorus with Deborah and sing, Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, because he has given us the victory over our sin and over death itself. So today, bless the Lord and rejoice in the salvation and sing of the salvation that he has given you in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the work of Christ, our Savior, on the cross. And Lord, we pray that you would fill our hearts with faith as we look to Jesus Christ, who in himself bore the penalty for our sin. And Lord, let us walk from there in confidence and in faith that we have the victory secured for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.